0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Going well? Awesome. Uh, if you are new, my name is Kylam. Uh, get the great joy of being uh, one of the pastors here at LCC. Uh, and for the next number of weeks, we are going to be in a series. We're just calling it Disciple. And really, we're, we're going to be walking through basically what we think a disciple is. We, we talk about the fact that we want to be a church that, that makes, matures and multiplies disciples. Um, and so we really just want to walk through like, what is that? Because uh, it's one thing to say, you know, we want to be a church that's about discipleship. Um, it's another thing to actually go, well, what does it actually look like in practice? What, what does that mean? Um, and so we want to spend just a few weeks. So we're going to spend four more weeks in this. Um, and we're going to walk through basically three things over the next three weeks that we would say are absolutely critical to disciples. So if you see on the screen, we're saying a disciple is someone who knows Jesus, trusts Jesus, and follows Jesus. And that is a journey. That is an entire process of one's whole Christian life. And so today we're going to focus on the idea of knowing Jesus, and so I want to start with a scripture. This is kind of like our key passage that's guiding us through uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to twenty. However, this week I want I want to encourage you, as awkward and as weird as this feels, to read it aloud with me. Can you do that? Can you participate? I know LCC, I know you love participating. I know you love laughing at all of my jokes. I know all of this sort of thing, but we're going to read this together and then I'm going to encourage you to try and learn this, try and memorize this off by heart. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, and say it with me. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So in that verse, we, we see three the three aspects that we're talking about. We see the fact that we are baptizing people into the name of Jesus. We're baptizing people into who is God? What's he like? And so the idea of knowing God is really, really important. If you don't know Jesus, it's really hard to be a follower of him. But also, we don't just want to have intellectual knowledge about God. We want to know him personally and we want to grow in our trust of him. At the end of that, it says that, hey, go and do this thing, but but I'm going to be with you the whole time. Why is that? Because I don't know if you've lived long enough to know this, but life is hard. In life, we experience difficulties and trials and health issues and financial issues and relational issues. And so part of being a follower of Jesus, part of being a disciple is knowing who he is and that he is with us in those times. And then also it is learning to trust him and obey him and follow his ways. And so last week we opened up with the idea that at the beginning of the story, the people of God are with God in the garden. They're imaging him, they're walking with him, they have a relationship with God. At the end of the story in Revelation, it is the exact same thing. There's this picture of God being with his people, his people being with him as their God. But then something has gone wrong in the middle. And you and I now live in this tension between we live in a world where some of us know God, some of us don't. Some of us know God like a lot more and we're growing in the knowledge of God. And so today I want to look at a couple of things. I want to start by looking at what went wrong and tie that into the importance of knowing Jesus and knowing God. And then I want to do an exploration or a case study in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul is someone who didn't know Jesus And lived a certain way then knew jesus and lived a completely different way so here's a great example to you and i as to what it can look like and the actual on the ground implications and benefits of knowing jesus so let's start in genesis 3 so last week again we looked at genesis 1 and 2 in the beginning god makes everything everything is good He's made Adam and Eve. He declares it's very good and they are basically given instruction. They're given purpose and they are imaging God. They are walking with God. But then you get to Genesis 3 and something went terribly wrong. And so this is how it speaks of what went wrong in the garden. So if you bring up Genesis 3, there's a serpent in the garden and it says that he's crafty, he's cunning, right? He's smart. He he knows if I can do this to them then maybe I can get them to do this, right? And so it says that this serpent comes to the woman and asks this question, did God actually say, you should not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or lest you die. And so God has given the instruction to Adam and Eve, hey, you have this oasis. There are three massive rivers. There's Hectares and hectares of beauty and just grandeur and all of the best stuff in the world But there's just one tree don't touch it. It's really important You don't go near it and the serpent is able to convince them that maybe they should explore this tree How does he get them to do that is he gets them to distrust what they know about God the question did God say there's a question behind the question Do you know God? Can you trust him? Because it might seem like he's holding out on you if he's given you all this and said one thing you can't have. Do you know God? That's the question he's really asking them. That's the question beneath the question. Did he really say, can you really trust him? Do you really know him? What's his intent for you? Because look, if I was God, I would have let you have every fruit of the tree. I would have let you do all that you wanted, right? Did God really say and there's the woman comes and says god said this she added something to that which is god never said neither shall you touch it or lest you die but he did say don't eat it then verse 4 says but the serpent said to the woman you won't die you will not surely die for god knows when you eat it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you think about this story, everything they think they're going to get from the tree, they actually already have. They already have life. They already have knowledge. The only thing they don't know is evil. They already actually had the knowledge of good because that's all they have in the garden. The only thing they don't have is the knowledge of evil, the very thing God wants to protect them from. But because the serpent is able to get them to doubt who they think God is, they distrust Him and now they move to an action where they are disobedient to Him. And that's where everything goes wrong. So here is the battle that was for Adam and Eve in the garden and it's for every other human being that's ever come after them is do you know God? Because every decision you're currently making, whether that's in your relationships, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in the direction of your life, all of those things can automatically be all the way traced back to your very belief about who you think God is and what He is like. Do you know God. They went from believing that God was good to believing that he might not be good. And that led to their actions. So that's how everything went wrong. And as you saw in Jesus' mission, part of the way that we come back to being God's children, to being God's disciples, is we start getting the true knowledge of the true God as he truly is. And so knowledge and knowing God and knowing who he is, is absolutely fundamental to your experience as a believer of Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And part of the reason you're not a Christian is because you have a view of God that's actually inaccurate and not right. That was my story. I believed God was a certain way from what I'd seen, from what I'd heard. And I said, I want nothing to do with that person. But as I grew in my my journey, I started to realize, ah, that's actually not what he's like. That's not actually the person of Jesus. And the more I've gotten to know Jesus, the more I realize he is better than good. He is wonderful. And so in that passage in Matthew, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and listen to this language, baptizing them that means to baptizo is to immerse. Okay, I'm not having a crack at my Presbyterian brothers and sisters at the moment. Okay, but it does say immerse. Just throwing that out there. But I don't think the immersion that is in Jesus' mind here is purely physiologically going underwater and coming up. I think it's not less than that. I think it's more than that. It is immersing people into what? The name. We just sung a song about the name of Jesus, baptizing, immersing people into the name. The idea of name is the identity of that person. Who is God as father? Who is God as son? Who is God as spirit? And the idea of the process of discipleship is we keep growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. So some of you know a bit of my story. I had a breakdown around about 2014 and anxiety was like every day for me. It kind of started slowly, it grew and then all of a sudden it was an everyday experience and I could not get out of my bed. Now if you know anything about me, it's rare that anyone would say that person is humble and lacks like confidence, okay? I'm the other guy, I'm the guy who even when I'm not confident, I pretend that I am so that you think that I am, because really I, I'm so confident. And so I've always been accused as being the arrogant one, the one who's a show pony, who loves the center of attention. And then something happened to me and I couldn't even get out of bed to go and see another human being. And in my struggle and in my journey, I learned that I knew up here the concept of God being a father who promises to be present with those who are suffering, to at some point in that journey, knowing God is my father who promises to never leave nor forsake me. And he is in in the pit with me, in my struggle, in my suffering, just as much as he is when I was on the mountaintops and everything was going well. But there was a journey for me to know that, to experientially come to the knowledge that he's not some distant, being out there who kind of knows what's going on. He's kind of like someone interested. He actually, it was like the whole world stopped and God was in my bedroom with me. Arrogant, confident one who has had all of his pride shattered. And so I knew about God as my father. I can tell you I now know him as my father. Now, every day I have anxiety. One of the first things I go back to is the scriptures that tell me that He has promised to never leave me nor forsake me, that He draws near to the brokenhearted. And those scriptures aren't just scriptures. They're the Word of God that deep down inside I now know. And so the process of discipleship is growing and being immersed into who is God as Father, who is God as Son? Who is God as Spirit? And as you grow in that knowledge, your life changes. You don't just get a bigger head with bigger words where you can say ology at the end of them or ism or all of these little things, right? Those, those words are good. Those words are helpful. But the purpose of those words is so they would actually penetrate deep into our heart and would change how we live our every single day life. Amen? So let's look at the Apostle Paul. In the book of Philippians chapter three, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a church and he starts off by kind of giving them, hey, if anyone was supposed to like be living the dream life in Australia, like in the cultural concept of what it looks like to be like living the Australian dream, Okay, obviously it wasn't the Australian dream, but the Hebrew-Israeli dream. It was me. And so what he does is he starts off this passage by going, here's everything that I built my life on. Here's everything that, that I thought I knew that would give me security, that would give me identity, that would transform the way I lived my life. And then he switches and goes, but now that I know Jesus, let me tell you about that and how that compares. So let's just look at this before Christ's journey for the Paul. So, for Paul, for the Paul. Okay. Verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. All right? This is him talking about religious people that are coming in and trying to subvert the gospel. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, listen to this that I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. In other words, I, if anyone in this world was going to walk around with swag and a bit of, like a, bit of a limp, or like, yo, 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 I got this, it was me. So I walked. I didn't have a limp. It was like a cool thing. It was like, I, I've got this. I know everyone's looking to me. If you want to live the life, follow me and walk as cool as I walk. So he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, like if you think that you're living the dream, you think what you have, you have it to live this life, like let's compare. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do resumes. Okay. I have more. And I love the first thing, circumcised. (laughs) Why why do we go there as a part of the resume? But it's a bit of an Israeli, Hebrew kind of cultural thing here. Circumcised on the eighth day. What he's saying there, what he's saying is there there are people who've become Jewish after. They were proselytes. So they weren't born it. They didn't have the rituals of actually becoming it. Their parents may not have been it, but somewhere along the line, they did certain things so they become Jewish. He's like, not me, I was Jewish. How do you know? I was circumcised on the right day, not you. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the law of the Old Testament. That's what they had to do with every single young boy. I'm of the people of Israel. That's racism, just so you know. He is saying, I'm superior because I'm Israeli. I am not Greek. I am not Roman. I'm not Australian. I'm Israeli. And that for him gave him confidence. Not only is he Israeli, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's in this rank of Israeli. He's of this specific group of the Israelis. So if you want to be an Israeli, that's an amazing thing. If you want to be a Hebrew, that's an amazing thing. But he's of a particular tribe of that. And so all of the things that are putting himself and making himself confident have nothing to do with God. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Here he's speaking of the tradition. A Pharisee, as, as to the law, a Pharisee. Like, like, I keep the rules. Can I just say, Paul, Paul, just, just so you know, Paul never once went to the coast on a weekend and missed a Sunday like some of you lot. He never did that. He never did that. He never never once declined and said, sorry, I can't serve that week. I've got these other things on or my family's sick. He never did that. Like, Paul was here every Sunday and he was here super early, and he sat in this row here where no one is right now. That was Paul. He was sitting there, and he was looking around to all of us, going, Huh, what time did you rock up the church? Huh, you came halfway through the first song. Oh, <laughs> we Christian. He was all about the stuff. I do the stuff, I do it exactly. So he, he's not just like tithing a small amount, he's giving probably close to 25% of his income to the local church. Right? He's, he's fasting. Not from social media, guys. Okay, not from Netflix. Okay, he is fasting from food and water two days every week without fail. He doesn't know, like, I find it really hard to memorize scripture. Paul would be like, really? Let me quote for you Genesis 1 through to probably somewhere in the prophets' word for word. You're struggling to to remember John 3.16, aren't you? Okay, let me give you an easier one. John 11.35, Jesus wept, just lock that away. It's the easiest one of all. Like he is putting his confidence into all these things. I know my Bible. I know it inside and out. I can quote it word for word for you without error. I don't miss a Sunday. I fast, I give, I serve, I pray, I read, I do the things. Do you see? And I am righteous. As to the law of Pharisee, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then I love this, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. See, when we do, when we do worship, his hands his hands aren't like this. Okay, his hands are like this. He doesn't sing like Like he sings loud and then he harmonizes then he drops down and then he harmonizes like he is the ultimate of all zeal worshippers. When he comes to prayer and worship night, he's like up there spinning around going, yeah, let's sing. Let's dance like David dance. And we're like, no, don't dance like David dance. Right. He is passionate. He is all in. And then he meets Jesus and goes, what the heck was all that? because I did all of that, I had all of that. And I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus. Isn't that wild? That's crazy to me. In our context, Paul would be saying, I've got two degrees. I studied under the leading professor in the world at Oxford. And then I went and got another degree at MIT. And now I own a legal firm in Australia. I'm top of the top. I'm mixing it with the high ranking people of influencers and celebrities. I'm key speaking into political leaders from around the world. Not to mention like Bitcoin, I made it. Everyone's trying to work out who started it. It was me. I created the code and now everyone's trying to copy the cryptocurrency. That was me. I've got the trophy wife, the three perfect kids. They're all succeeding. One's playing for the roosters, picked that particularly for Josh Dawkins today. The other is on their way to be a doctor, top of her class. The other is a marine biologist. I have a house on the Brisbane River, a house on the coast, a house. I'm living the dream. And then he meets Jesus and goes, all of that is worthless to me. So listen to how he speaks now after meeting Jesus. Verse 7, this blows my mind, but whatever gain I had, all of those things. He's not once said any of them are bad, by the way. They're not bad, but if they don't lead me to knowing Jesus, they're not good. (laughs) They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What are the next two words? My Lord, He knows Jesus. I love this. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. If you read the story of Paul, if you read 2 Corinthians 11 and read all that he went through, You ask the question, why in the world would you go through all of that? Shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, lost, running. Everything in his life after meeting Jesus goes bad. Why would he keep meeting and following Jesus? Because now he knows him and he is worth it all. And I'll give up everything just to know him. Don't you love this? And I love this, this verse, uh, verse nine, that says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I, I'm, I'm no longer needing to prove myself and try harder and have more money and wear the clothes and have the house and have the family. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and listen to these words, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." What happened to this man named Paul? In his zeal, he was on his way. In his passion, he was on his way to persecute Christians. And Jesus went, hello, and just rocked up and knocked him off his high horse. And said, actually, I want you to know me because I've got a different plan for your life. And we're now going to course correct. And just so you know, if you read the book of Acts and you read some of Paul's letters, his change didn't happen overnight. It took time. He had a lot to process. He had a lot to think through because he had built his whole life, his whole reputation on one way. And now he's met Jesus and he is like confused. And he's like, what in... What in the world is going on? And here we see him saying. Past. I came to know Jesus present. I am knowing Jesus and future. I continue want to know more about Jesus. He has learned that these things that he built his life on were powerless to give him security in this life, they can be taken away and they can go. The things that he built his life in were insufficient to build his sense of identity and self-worth upon. The things that he's building his life on were temporal. And he is saying, then I came to know Jesus. I've continued to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. And I'm forever pursuing the knowledge of Jesus. Because that is what transforms my life. And that is what will transform your life. discipleship is not linear it's not like you just come to Jesus and then it's like it happens it's a process it takes time what I knew about Jesus 20 years ago when I first became a Christian blew my mind what I know about Jesus today blows my mind what I will know about Jesus in 20 or 30 years will blow my mind. And, and like we prayed this morning, one day we're going to get to heaven. We're going to see him and go, holy dooly. We, we didn't even know like a glimpse of you. And now look at what we see. So how does, how does growing in the knowledge of Christ affect our lives? I just want to do this one exercise. And just if I can encourage you, just engage in this for a little bit, just in your minds. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign, which means he is in control of all things, and he is good. When you don't know that and you go through hard times, you are torn between two thoughts. Either he is powerless or he is loveless. Is that not what we are tempted to think? God can't help me in this moment, right this second, here, now. So while I'm having a panic attack on a bus in the middle of Brisbane City, the doubt is, I think he's powerless. I don't think he can do anything right now because I am in big, big trouble. And nor do I think he loves me because why would he let that happen to me? Right? I thought that so many times. I believe that so many times. But as I journeyed with God and I allowed God to come and reveal himself to me, at some point, my belief started to change. And I started to realize, no, 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 Jesus is sovereign and he can help me right now. I am going to be okay, And he loves me. So whilst I don't know what the plan is that he's doing right now, I know that it's good. So a few weeks ago, I went to Japan, and I've not caught a bus for over six years. I've gone back to catching planes. I've gone back to being in the back seats of cars. I've gone back to flying. But a bus, who needs them, right? They're of the devil. We all agree. (laughs) They're demonic, and there's all sorts of evil that happens on buses. So I was like, I'm not going on a bus and my, my counselor has been journeying with me slowly to get back and the goal for this year was to maybe at some point get on one station, hop off the next station and then get back on and hop and see if we could do that. And then I went to Japan and guess what I had to do with no time to even think? Had to get on a bus in a country where I don't know anyone and I'm like, I, no, no, no one told me <laughs> the bus. If you had told me we would have said no to the Japan trip because that wasn't on. And so I just had to get on this bus. And in that moment, I had to have an inner dialogue with myself to go, do you know Jesus right now? Because you weren't planning for this. You're not prepared for this. And I just had a little conversation, a little prayer with God. I said, God, you are, you are sovereign and you knew. You knew before I even bought the ticket to go to Japan that I'd be on this bus. You knew that. I didn't know. And in your sovereign plan, you chose not to tell me and reveal to me that that was going to happen because I probably would have gone anxious the whole time and now I'm on the bus and I trust that you are good and you have me. And I had zero anxiety, didn't have to take a single tablet. Praise God. Six year journey, God just did it like that. Now, now, I'm not getting on the Carmichael bus to go to their stupid you know, thing with the kids, their excursion. I ain't doing that. Okay, I'm sending all the staff here that go to Carmichael, you guys are doing that. And I'm and I'm gonna tell you that God is sovereign, he is good, and you can do it. <laughs> Shane, I'm getting laughs today. Just just it's great. <laughs> if God, in the person of Jesus, has died on the cross for your sins he is your forgiver and some of you you have a past and you can't get through it and it keeps holding on to you and it keeps you look back there and you're like i'm so filled with shame and guilt and i want to say to you get to know jesus the great forgiver because when you live guilt-free guilt-free christianity is so great it is so freeing to go, that's way back there, and that is in God's redemptive hand. I can't do anything about my past. Jesus is your great forgiver. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He has dealt with your sin, past, present, and future, which means today when you go home and, and then you say again, what you do now that you know that that's true, you keep turning back to Jesus really, really quickly with repentance. And you say, God, I am so... I." I'm so sorry for my sin. Thank you for forgiving. And you pick up the forgiveness of God and it gets into you. And now you live free. And then you can share some of your story with others. If Jesus is my older brother, that's what the Bible tells me. I don't know if you have older brothers. Older brothers are great because older brothers protect you. They look after you. They stand in the gap for you. They defend you. That's... That's my Jesus. And so as the enemy comes and stands and tries to accuse me and tell me all the things that I'm not, all the things that I've done wrong, my older brother stands up and says, shut your mouth or I'm going to shut it for you. He tells the accuser, shut it, stop. That's Jesus. When I don't know how to talk to God, the Bible says that Jesus helps me with my prayers. I don't know what to pray, how to pray it. Anyone here like that? You hear someone else pray, you're like, whoa. Whoa. Well, man, they walk with Jesus. Like, my prayers are like, "Uh, yeah, hey, God. um, Like, if you could just help me today. And you feel like you don't have this awesome prayer life. And Jesus is like, that's okay. I'm teaching you. Journey with me. Come to know me and I will help you on how to pray. This is how Paul speaks in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible about his life. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, this physical life, this earthly life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen to, who loved me and gave himself for me. God is my friend and my Savior. And that has changed his life. Church, do you know Jesus? Or do you just know about Him? Do you walk with Jesus? Or do you just hear other people's stories of Jesus? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you so that you could walk with Him. So as the band come up, I just want to give you a couple of things, a couple of encouragements of how we can grow in our knowledge of God. Number one it's the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to people. It is the story of God to us. If you want to know what Jesus is like, read the book. And as you read the book, you're like, I don't understand it. That's okay. Just keep reading the book. Over time, you grow. You see stories that resonate with you. For me, the story of Joseph, of feeling abandoned, was something that God spoke to me to go, hey, I was with Joseph in the pit as much as I was with him when he was prime minister. Right? And to I see, like I was with him throughout the whole journey. And as I was reading, I was like, that's who God is. That's what he's like. So delight in the word of the Lord. That's what Psalm 1 says, is that uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Paul Parsons says, so many are looking for special revelation from God while it sits on their shelves gathering dust. You and I have access to the Bible in a way that no other generation in human history has. Can I encourage you? Just find ways to listen to it while you drive. Listen to it while you sleep. Open it up and read it. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free Bibles down the back. Take it. If you've got a Bible and you've lost it, there's a free Bible down the back take it. They're for you. They're for free because we want you to learn who is Jesus. Secondly, pray to Him. This is not a one-way relationship. Start opening dialogue and start pouring out your heart to Jesus. Pouring out your heart to God. And as you do that, as you let Him speak to you and you speak to Him, over time you grow in knowing. Who your God is. And where you are today is not where you'll be in five years and in 10 years and in 15 years. You'll know Him better. Corporate worship, what we are doing today, it's supernatural. God has promised to meet His people in a special way as they gather. And so there are things even today that God is doing in your mind, in your heart to reveal Himself to you. To come and just keep coming and let the songs we sing, let the people who you engage with and talk to, let the word of God that gets read and spoken penetrate your heart. Community, build friendships with those that know Jesus. We, we want to be a church that loves non-Christians and serves them. But One of the greatest helps to growing and knowing Jesus is walking with others that are growing and knowing Jesus because you will start to see things in them and hear their stories and see what God does. And you're like, wow, God is crazy good. And I see that in your story. And persevere through trials, temptations, because the Bible says that through those, God wants to bring you out on the other side and as you've walked through that difficulty you come out the other side and you go I know God and without those things you wouldn't have known God let me just give you one example and then we'll finish I know my wife has unconditional love and commitment and faithfulness to me because we went through the breakdown pregnant with fourth child working a job and I can't get out of bed and guess what she never left me She read the Bible to me every single day. When I didn't want to hear it, she told me to shut up and listen. And so my understanding, my experiential knowledge of the love that my bride has for me has grown because we went through trials, because we went through hard times. And it is the same with God. He will pull you through and get you through. And on the other side of that, you will go, now I know that He doesn't abandon me. Now I know that He is faithful and good. Now I know that He turns all things together for good, that those who love Him, as you go through that hard time and you see what He did, you're like, wow. Amen. Hey, church, let's know Jesus. Let's commit together to know Him and walk with Him. Let's give each other grace and mercy and time and patience as we do that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For without you revealing yourself to us, we would never know you. The scriptures are clear that we love you because you first loved us. That it was you who opened up our eyes and opened up their ears, replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh that would be open to exploring you and seeing you. God, today, even as we sing, take communion. Would you reveal yourself anew to us again as our friend, as our savior, as our healer, as our forgiver, whatever it is that we need to know. And Lord, would you help us to be a church to continually pursue the knowledge and glory of God and we spread that throughout our world. God thank you that you are God and we are not thank you for who you are and God I pray that you would stir up our hearts to want to know you and walk with you and journey with you and we thank you in your son's wonderful name and everybody said hey. thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes we exist to make mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon declare and and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.